Well, good morning, Axis Church. <clears throat> look at look at you guys, the fearless among us. You're here. Uh, it was a little treacherous getting here this morning. Those of you who are online, uh, we're glad that you're safe as well. I hope all you guys stay safe as you go home. Uh, I have a four-wheel drive that helps me get here, but it does not help you stop, all right? Helps you just to kind of maneuver and uh, I did go right through an intersection on the way over here, so uh, I'll just confess that right now and just look both ways. There's no stopping, so I was like, well, let's just embrace embrace the uh, red light, and so that's what I did, and we're here, and let me just say, if we happen to get snowed in, just stay, because at three o'clock, you can watch the game on the big screen, amen, you know what I'm saying? Just stay here and just hang out, watch the game on the big screen, move a couple couches in, and uh, have a good time. Uh, we're glad you guys are here. Uh, back in 2011, I had the opportunity to go uh, to Israel with several church planters and church leaders from around the state of Ohio. And we, at one point, went to a place called Masada. Now, Masada is a, uh, one of Herod's palaces down near the Dead Sea. And I was there with a group of uh, church planters, like I said, and one of the guys I was with his name's Dan Smith, and if you've been online, he's a rapper. He did the spoof Baby Got book, and if you've ever seen that, he was with us. He's hilarious. We had another guy with us, a rapper, six foot nine tall guy named Big Cleve, church planter out of Cleveland, and he was quite a, uh, a, a spectacle for everybody because you don't see many six foot nine guys in Israel. And so everybody wanted to know him and every place we went, they were all inspired by him. And it was really, really a lot of fun. But when we went to Masada, there's a couple ways you can get up Masada. One is you can just hike it. And the second way is you could take the tram or whatever up to the top and then you could take it back down. Guess which way we did? Of course, we're going to climb Masada. So now we're going to go up Masada. And uh, our whole group went, different packs of our group. Some of them were lagging behind. Some of them were, you know, kind of in the middle. And then there was a group that was at the front of the pack. And that group just took off, all right? I was in that group. Dan Smith was in that group. A couple other guys were in that group. And we're headed up Masada, and we're going to make it to the top. And as we go up Masada, we see a, a guy, a local guy. He's got a backpack on. He's shirtless. He's wearing hiking boots, and he's hiking up Masada. As we pass him, we think to ourselves, we're pretty good. I mean, this guy is obviously in shape. We're making it up Masada. We just passed this guy. When we get to the top of Masada, we're high-fiving each other. Way to go. Good job. I mean, we're like bear hugs. It was, it was a lot of fun. But finally, this guy, the shirtless guy with a backpack gets up there, and he gets up there, and we're like, ah, you made it. Good job. We're high-fiving this guy. Bear hugs. Way to go. And then the guy leans over. He's huffing and puffing. In our mind, we're thinking, we're all that. I mean, this guy's in shape. He's huffing and puffing. He's like, oh, oh. He goes, two times, one more to go, one more to go. He'd already climbed it two times that day, and now he's going to come up one more time, and he just brought us right down to size. But when you see a mountain like Masada or a place like Jericho, which we're going to talk about today, you have to think in your mind, how is that possible? And let me just ask you a question. How many of you are facing barriers today in your life? 
I mean, how many of you right now today are facing some challenge in your personal life or some hardship or some frustration? And you think to yourself, how am I ever going to overcome that? How am I going to make it up that mountain? How am I going to tear that wall down? How's it going to happen? And, and we are in this series called Fearless, and we've been looking at the people of God, the Israelites, and how they transitioned from the leadership of Moses. They had been enslaved in Egypt, and now they were now out, ready to go into the promised land. Moses had delivered them by God's power. But when they sent spies into the land, 10 of them were afraid, and two of them were courageous, but the people listened to the ones who were afraid. And they said, we can't believe God. Let's go back into enslavement in Egypt. And because of that, God allowed the consequence of that behavior. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that entire generation died, never entered the promised land because they did not have faith in God. And so God raised up another leader named Joshua, who happened to be one of the spies who was courageous. And so God is going to use Joshua. And now they're across the Jordan River on dry ground. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And then once they get on the other side of the river, they put up monuments or stones to say, this is a moment we want to remember. And Josh talked about that last week. This is a moment where God did something incredible among us. And now the people are ready to go into the promised land. And as they go in, they're going in boldly. They're like, we've got the strong and courageous speech We've got the God stop the river upstream moment. We've got the stones that we just put out there to celebrate who God is. And now we're on the other side. We're prepared and ready to go. But as soon as they get over there, God says, listen, the very first battle you're going to face is the battle of Jericho. And they all go, now wait a minute. We've heard of Jericho. Jericho is a fortress. The outer, there are two walls. The outer wall is six foot thick. The inner wall is 12 foot thick. There is no way that we can win that battle against those giants. And I can imagine what Joshua was feeling. He's leading the people and he says, this is extraordinary. We've gone across the, the river. Now we'll certainly move right into the promised land. God said, no, you got some battles to face. You got some barriers to overcome. And so here he is, and he's leading the people, and, and God continually has to say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And I think he has to say that, not because Joshua is naturally courageous, but because maybe Joshua in his heart is a little afraid. But Joshua heads to Jericho, and he doesn't know what God's plan is. God hasn't revealed it to him yet. And here he is moving to this fortified fortress, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, because I'm going to use you. And in that, God teaches me something that all of us need to remember when we face barriers. And that is that God doesn't need you to overcome that barrier, but he does use you. He, he uses you. And I can't help but to imagine that Joshua was carrying the weight of his world as a leader of God's people. And he's thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. But God says, you can do it. Be strong and courageous. And, and Joshua was like, how am I going to do this? And he's thinking about it. And he's processing it. And the Bible says he's actually looking down. Look at chapter 5 of Joshua, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and he said, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? 
The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. And this is an extraordinary moment. Because here Joshua is looking down, maybe in his thoughts, maybe in his head. How many of you are like that when you're processing something big? And he's like, how are we going to overcome this? I don't know. His head's down. He's kind of thinking, how are we going to overcome Jericho? How are we going to take over this fortress? And he looks up and he sees a man who's a commander, obviously, and he's got a sword drawn. And Joshua asks the obvious question. Okay, battle's on. Either you're for us or you're against us. Because he's like, now what's about to happen? Either you're with the Israelite army or you're with them. And, and, and let's go. If, it's, if you're against us, let's go right now. And he doesn't know what to think. And this commander says, I'm, I'm for neither. Don't you love it when, you know, as parents, don't we do that to our kids when they ask us a question? They're like, hey, can we go outside or can we go hang out with friends? And you're like, neither, but you can wash the dishes, all right? Amen? You can wash the dishes. There's something in between. And this guy says, listen, I'm not for you or against you. I'm just telling you I'm a commander of the army of the Lord. Now, that's an amazing statement. A pastor in Dallas uh, named Tony Evans said it this way one time. When the commander of the army of the Lord shows up, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. And the commander of the army of the Lord is saying, I'm not for you against you, but I am for the Lord and for his plan. And if you're with him, then you're with me. And Joshua must be thinking, I thought I was the leader of the army of God, the Israelites. And he realizes that he's not, that God's already got this. But he's going to use Joshua, and I think this is so fascinating. And the commander of the army of the Lord, some have supposed this is an angel. Some have said this is the very presence of God himself. Some have said this might be the pre-incarnate Christ who is there ready to lead the army, whoever it is. It's clearly representative of God in this story. And, and so Joshua was there, and he doesn't know what to do except to fall on his face in reverence to God. And God says something that was very uh, reminiscent of something else that had happened in the story of the Israelites because he says, take off your sandals because the ground where you're standing is holy ground. And that reminds him of the time where Moses was before the burning bush. God said the same thing. And here's what, I, what impresses me. God didn't need Moses, but he used Moses. God didn't need Joshua. He had a commander of the army of the Lord, but he used Joshua. And it is so incredibly humbling for me to realize that God doesn't need us, but he uses us. That's why he says to us in Joshua 1, nobody will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead this people to inherit the land I swore their ancestors to give them. So in other words, I don't need you but I'm going to use you. And that passage reminds me that God has a plan ahead of us. And I've seen that plan work out in my life and also in the life of Axis Church over the years. Uh, when I started Axis, I was 39 years old. Some people are like, oh, that's so young. Not for a church planter. It's actually kind of old. But anyway, I was 39 years old, and, and I'm ready to move into that next phase of my life. We're going to start Axis Church. And when we started, I don't know who's going to come with us. I don't know what kind of team we're going to have. And so it was so encouraging when David and Amy Sloan, who lead worship up here, met with me at an Olive Garden restaurant, looked across the table, and Amy was like, we're with you, we're with you. I'm just waiting on my husband to get there. And then he hears a song on the radio that inspires him, that inspires him to get out of his comfort zone, and they say, we're with you. And then my sister came to me and said, hey, listen, I, I know this is a big step. I want to help you. 
Let me help you lead worship there. And so now I had a little worship team already, and we hadn't even started yet. And then God started to build the team and the launch team, and other people started to join it. We got to about 35 people, and we're praying, God, would you do something great among us? Will you let us do something different? Well, I didn't know what other kind of staff I was going to have. Who's going to be with us? And, but I had known this guy named Josh Romano from a few years before. He was in our youth group at Centerpoint Church. And I happened, we didn't have a youth pastor for a while, so I happened to do some of the trips with the kids. And I went on a youth trip with Josh, a ski trip. And let me just say, he was, he was a bit rambunctious. Amen. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like, I mean, like things flying across the room and fireworks. I don't know. But like, it was a lot of fun. And then years later, a couple years later, we get reconnected because Lisa takes photos for Josh and Jess and their wedding. And so we start to talk with each other. And I start to think, maybe this couple would be the couple that God would bring here to be a part of us. And so I met with Josh, and we met at a Starbucks restaurant down in, West, in, in Westchester. And I painted the picture for him that this is going to be church different. We're not just going to do the weekend experience, but we're going like, we're gonna, to we're gonna build disciples. We're going to do it different than how other people are doing it. We're going to do it like they did in the New Testament. We're going to build relational bridges with people. And he bought it hook, line, and sinker. Went back and told Jess, hey, let's do this. And they were like, yeah, let's do this. And and uh, he resigned from his little church he was working at in Kentucky. I hadn't even given him an offer letter yet. He'd already resigned. I just said, listen, in the future, make sure you get an offer first. I mean, just, just so you make sure. That's a good thing to do. But part of the backstory with Josh and Jess, which is really crazy, is in 2008, I bought the name Access Church in August of 2008. The, the website name as well as uh, filed some of our filings. Didn't, had not launched out the plant yet, was just thinking about it. Didn't know where we were going to end up. I thought it was going to be Warren County. That was my goal target area. I thought we were going to end up in Lebanon. And we looked for buildings there. What I didn't know in 2008, we started in 2009 in October. In 2008, in August, I bought the name Axis Church. Two weeks later, Josh is praying, and in his journal, he's at Bible college at this time. He's in seminary doing grad school work. He's writing in his journal, where? And he puts a big question mark, where? God, where are you going to send me? He's living in Kentucky at the time. Never thought he would be back in this area. And God impresses on his spirit, and he writes the word Mason, Ohio, in his journal a year before we started Axis Church. And when we came back and realized that together, we realized that God has got a plan that's way ahead of us. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? He already knew that Josh and Jess were going to be with us. He already knew what location we would be in. He already knew what area we would be in. And that story here in the life of our church can be told time and time again as God has stepped in to moments where we say, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to go the next step. And I've seen it happen personally too, and maybe to you today. You have some things in your personal life, and you go, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this barrier. All I can see is the wall. I can't see how we're going to get through it. And realize, God has a plan. And while he doesn't need you, he's going to use you. Here's something else I've realized when we face barriers, and that is God's sovereign purposes are not limited by my imperfections. How many of you are glad about that? By sovereign, I mean God's the one in control. You think you're in control? God reminds us again and again, he's the one in control. And basically, Joshua is heading to Jericho, these huge impenetrable walls, and he doesn't have a plan, and he doesn't know how he's going to overcome it. 
and he comes against these walls, and, and I just can imagine in my own you know, mind that they are there facing these walls, and suddenly the men of Jericho are there taunting the Israelites. Now, that's not in the Bible. It's just what I think, and maybe it comes from me watching the movie Monty Python, The Holy Grail, too many times. And I feel like maybe the people uh, there are saying something like, I blow my nose at you, your mother was a hamster, your father smelled of elderberries. Something like that, that they might have been saying. So they're yelling at them from across the, the, and Josh just says, I I don't know how we're going to do this. Joshua chapter 6 says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Think about that for a second. They're facing the wall, and God says what? I've already delivered it to you already. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven trumps of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone will go straight in. That's the plan. Get some people from the band room to come play their instruments. Do it quietly. This might work at Lakota. I don't know. March around the school and just see what happens. Just have some trumpeters. Just play. But don't say anything. Don't yell. Don't do anything until the seventh day and the seventh time around. Then yell and shout out. That's the plan. Such a silly, crazy plan with no threatening instruments. And it reminds me of this little newspaper story I saw one time. It says, in Port Ritchie, Lewis Davis was ready to drive home from a party on November drive at 2 a.m. Thursday, when he saw a green Cherokee chief pull up, six men, their faces covered with red bandanas, got out of the Cherokee carrying a knife, baseball bat, billy club, and a rolling pin, said Davis. I knew that I, when I saw the rolling pin that something bad was going to go down. I mean, I like, forget the knife, like... This is a rolling pin. My mom used to use one, they thinking. And so here he is, and he says, hey, listen, I know it's not very threatening, but use the trumpets, the Ark of the Covenant, and march on the city. That's the battle plan. That's what we're going to do. Now, can you imagine Joshua, who is there before his leaders and his people, and says, guys, let's pull it together. I got a plan. It's not my plan. It came from the Lord. We're going to march around the city once each day. We're not going to say anything. Everybody stay quiet. Uh, We're going to do that six days. On the seventh day, we're going to do it. We're going to march around seven times. On that last time, when the trumpets blast a loud, long note, we're all going to yell. And that's our plan. And you can imagine everybody going, that doesn't make any sense to us at all. But Joshua says, that's God's plan. That's what we're going to do. Joshua chapter 6, verse 16 says, The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20 says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and looked, took the city. And they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. I mean, can you imagine those impenetrable walls fell down because God's purpose happens despite our imperfections. Despite the fact that we think we have it all together, we think we have it under control, we think we have all the right plans, God says, look, I'm going to use you even though I don't need you, 
And, and listen, I know that you're imperfect. I'm still going to use you to accomplish this task. And he gave them a little task. And he said, but that's an interesting thing. And by the way, some people get caught up on the fact that it says that God said destroy the entire city. And some people, critics of the Bible, will say, well, that, that's so cruel. Why would he do that? Some have offered suggestions as to why that is. Uh, some say, well, in the ancient world, they used exaggerated war language. And, and it didn't really mean that they destroyed everything in the city. It just meant they overtook the whole city. And, and that's an exaggerated war, uh, war language. That doesn't fully resonate with me because if the Bible says God told them to destroy everything, it just seems to me that's probably what they did. And some have said, and this is what I tend to believe, that God in his wisdom understood the wickedness of the city. Um, the people of Canaan followed the god Molech, a false god, and often the people sacrificed their children and burnt offerings to the god Molech. They were involved in child sacrifice and incest and other forms of just incredible immorality. And some people have said God understood that their heart was the way it was. Regardless, God said, destroy the city. He knew there was no hope for them, but he had a plan for the people of God. And, he, and he's been carrying out that plan for years upon years, generations upon generations. As he said to the Israelites, listen, I'm going to redeem the world out of the people of God. And he told Abraham in the beginning, listen, Abraham, out of your family line is going to come the Savior of the world. And, and despite the fact that the Israelites kept blowing it before God and kept messing up before God, and yes, they had to face the consequences of those decisions, like enslavement in Egypt, like captivity in Babylon, where God's people had to face these consequences, but God still kept using them and using them and using them. And it reminds me again of this truth, that despite our failings, despite our struggles and our challenges and our imperfections, God still carries a plan out within our lives. So some of you today that are facing suffering, God still has a plan. You're suffering persecution. God still has a plan. You're suffering brokenheartedness. God still has a plan. You're suffering in your own world, your family life, the challenges that you have. God still has a plan for you, and he is still writing a story for you, and he still has a sovereign purpose in your life, and he will carry out his plan. For God said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. So when you're facing a barrier, remember God's going to use you. Even though he doesn't need to, he will. And he's going to use you despite your imperfections. He's going to carry out his purpose in your life. The last thing I would say is God's ultimate goal is that you would trust him, and in particularly that you would trust him for salvation. You know that when God sent Israel in to take Jericho, and Jericho was going to experience the sovereign justice of God, not everybody in Jericho was destroyed. In fact, chapter 6, verse 17, it says, The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will be spared. Because she hid the spies we sent. Verse 22, it says, Joshua sent the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, all who belong in her, uh, in accord, in her house in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spine went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and all who belong to her. They brought her out, her entire family, and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And you say, wait a minute. God saved, in the middle of all this destruction of the city, God saved Rahab, the prostitute. Why did he do that? Chapter 2 tells us their story. 
that the spies who went into Jericho to look and to see so that they could give advice to the rest of the Israeli army, suddenly they met, they had to be hidden because their lives were in danger, and they hid in the house of Rahab the prostitute. Maybe nobody noticed men going in and out of her house because that was a, a customary thing. And yet they walk into her house, and God, in that moment, spares their lives, and they make a promise to her. And they say, we promise that God will not destroy you, will not destroy your family, but we want to ask you this, put a red scarlet rope out of the window, and when the armies of Israel come to destroy the city, they will know that they're not to touch your house, because you've got a red scarlet rope out of that. Sure enough, she did it, and sure enough, God spared her and her family, and, and gave them life. And by the way, that reminds me of another story in the life of the Israelites. Do you remember back when they were in Egypt and God was going to send the death angel to destroy uh, the Egyptians? And, 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 um, and, and he said, listen, when you put blood, the blood of an innocent lamb on the doorpost of your home, your children will be saved. And, and, and that moment was a moment where it said, someday, listen, God, when the death angel passes over your life, in your life, that one day, if you have the blood of the lamb spread on the doorpost of your heart, that he will save you. In other words, through the blood of Christ, he will save you. And I know that it looks bad, but when the death angel enters your house, you'll be able to be saved. You'll be given promise for heaven. And in a very similar way, he says to Rahab the prostitute, Put that red scarlet rope out of the house and therefore we will know that you will be saved and your family will be saved. It is an incredible moment that tells us something about the heart of God and that is that God's ultimate purpose is that people would come to know him, that they would accept the blood of Christ, that they would say yes to him and that they'd be given eternal life with him. That's his ultimate plan. And I love how God carries out his purpose. Did you know that Rahab the prostitute, if you read the genealogy of Jesus, our Savior, read through chapter 1 of Matthew, and it's going to begin like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the king. And he's going to go on, and he's going to say that, that Messiah is going to save the world. And he was born of this person, born of this person, born of this person. And in the middle of his genealogy, it says, Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And in the middle of the story of Jesus the Messiah, we see that God used imperfect people to carry out his plan. And I love that, and it reminds me that God still uses me to carry out his plan. Even though I'm imperfect, God uses his sovereign purpose, and ultimately his goal for you is that you would trust him with your life. You would trust him to be saved, and you would trust him with the purposes in your life. First service, as I was praying, during the message as a pastor, you can just give a message and not let it hit you. Or more often than not, for me, when I give a message, I internalize it personally. And I think, what is God saying to me in this? That's why I confessed a couple weeks ago that in a message of fearlessness, in some challenges that we're facing, I feel maybe afraid. And yet in the middle of that, God's like, these obstacles can be turned into opportunities. 
And then today, as I talk about barriers in your life, and I think in terms of my life and the barriers that God's overcome in my life, or he will overcome, how God will take something that looks like a barrier today, and he will tear that barrier down, and he will open up new opportunities. But in the middle of my prayer today, as I was praying at first hour, people's names started coming to my mind. And I started to think about people right in first service that were sitting here. And I was thinking about a couple, and you'll know some of these stories. They're, I won't tell you their names, but I was thinking about a couple who had preemie babies at 23 weeks. And they're sitting here, and their babies are on Facebook all over the place, and they've grown up to be beautiful young children. And I thought God took a barrier. He took down a barrier and he made it an opportunity. He took an obstacle, made it an op- opportunity, tore down a wall. I was thinking about a couple who the wife has cancer and, and they just texted me this week that the news wasn't great, but we're looking for new treatments, new opportunities, and we believe in God because we think God is not done with us yet. That, their name came to my mind. Think of a, a couple who went through a difficult divorce, thought, well, where are we going to be from here? And then God redeems that story and helps them find their true love through the story of their life. I think about other people who face barriers along the way. And these are personal things. And one of the opportunities I have as a pastor is to see God work in your life in a way that he takes a barrier and he pulls that barrier down. At the moment, you can't see it. You don't know. That's where faith comes in. God's goal is that you would trust him. God's goal is that you would know him, that you would stop trying to be in charge all the time. You'd listen how he wants it done, in what way he wants it to be done, the timing he wants it to be done, because he wants to show up in your life and do something great. He wants to do something great among you, and he wants you to know that ultimately it's his purpose that will prevail. So in light of that, I want to pray for you today. God, We just thank you so much for working in the lives of people, real people, right here today. People that are from our church family, where you have taken their stories, and some of those people have walked through that barrier. They've walked through that tunnel of pain. They've come out on the other side, God, and you overcame that obstacle. You turned it into an opportunity, and that's happened across the board in this church in the lives of so many people. And I also know there are other people that are just now entering a moment like that. And they're seeing the barriers in their life. They don't know what to do. And they don't know how to overcome it. And God, we know that you still have a plan. You still have a purpose. And and that it's through that barrier that you're going to overcome it. You're going to overcome it. You're going to help us trust you more. You're going to help us know you more. You're going to change our heart. You're going to change our character. You're going to change our life in the midst of the storm. So God, today we thank you for loving us. Thank you for having a purpose. Thank you for using us even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for using us even though we're imperfect. God, we just pray that we pray that we will continue to see your purpose carried out in the lives of real people in this generation and through this church. And we pray it together in Jesus' name.